Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Unlike other times when I would drink and I wouldn't know what I'd done the, ne- the previous day, I was just sitting and thinking about my life and where it all started. I want to take you right to the beginning as, as my, 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 my memory can, 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 can take me. 1983 was the year that things changed for me. Was, I was in Standard 4 at primary school and that year my father died. The very next year, at the age of 12, I remember I started drinking. And I drank because obviously the disciplinarian was no longer there, the father figure. I, I sought company uh, other than my home, you know, friends and acquaintances. And at that time, I didn't think much of it. And alcohol was, was just part of growing up for me. And, you know, as years later on, I, I actually realized that I, I, from a young age, I started to become an alcoholic. Uh, into my into my high school years, I I was fairly good in, in school. I, I was all right. I continued drinking, and and I didn't really take notice of it. You know, I call it setbacks. And then in 1988, I was in Senate Nine. I was doing fairly well. I remember my teachers always speaking about my academic achievements and things. But then my brother passed away that year, and he was 21 years old, he was older than me. And once again, I committed myself to destruction. I drank even more, and I started doing other things, and, and my life took a whole new turn. I remember being in matric, not even, I sent a message with my last couple of, I think it was biology or something I had to write, I just sent a message saying, just tell the teacher I'm not going to be in today. I'm not going to come write my exam. And, and I never completed my, my matric that year, you know. And I continued drinking and finding pleasure in, in, in the worldly things. And, and I remember what I'd done to my family. I remember now what I'd done to my family. The wrong company and the wrong things I was busy with. It was really bad. And then... My family, I remember it was 1992. They were all saved, uh, saved as in gave their heart to the Lord. My mother, my brother, and, and my sister. And they would always question me about my Christianity and about my commitment. And then one evening, I just decided to go with the youth. And as it happened, I gave my, my heart to the Lord that, that 1992. Everything was all right for a while. I met my wife. It was a distant relationship, and I was sort of all right. 1996, I got married to my wife. I'm still married to her. But in that time, I started to, to drink again without... She, she, she found out afterwards, I, I like what they call in Afrikaans, it's And that escalated into to not only drinking and drugs and everything else. And um, that would continue for the next... 20 years, it would, it would carry on like that, you know, and, and I would be abusive at home. I would earn lots of money because I wouldn't only work at work. I would do like private jobs, as you call it. I'm a cabinet maker, so I would do kitchens and bedrooms and houses and 
I would just drink that money out and bring like, if I made a 10,000, I would bring a 2,000 rand home and not know what I'd done with the other money. And that was really a, a bad time, time in my life. And I, I remember in 2010, I was with, this, with, with my boss since the age of 19 years old. And one day he just called me to the office. I remember it was a Saturday I was working. And then he called me into the office. And, and I didn't know exactly what I'd done that Saturday on the site. But I know it was near Shobin somewhere. And, and he showed me this, this piece of plank. It was like a sill or something I was supposed to put in. And he said, is this the, the workmanship that you give me, you know? And then never before did you do this. And things was escalating, you know? And, and, and he said to me that day, even if he must, like, hire the, the most expensive lawyers, but he doesn't want to see me in his workshop again. You know, at that point, I thought, wow, you know, it must be, it must be bad. Anyway, I was fired. And I moved on to, to my new boss, which I'm still with now at this present moment. But I basically started my interview with telling my, my, my new boss that I actually have a problem with alcohol. I don't know how that happened, but that's how it was. And um, I would continue drinking. And, and, I, and because probably I'm a good worker, I was kept on there all the time. And I remember this, this one day. Uh, because also what I would usually do is I would come Wednesdays to work. I would still drink the Monday, Tuesday I would recover, and Wednesday I would come to work. Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Fridays was my work days. 2016, I was called into the boardroom the, the Tuesday because also the Monday I was at work, making excuses to go home. Because, and then I, I came back the Tuesday still half drunk. And my boss said to me, no, 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 no this is not working out. We already spoke to you about AA previously and you didn't commit so if you don't come back to work with proof of AA we don't want anything to do with you and that's where my journey took me to my first meeting of the AA. What happened after that was because of work I had to go that Tuesday I was sent home so I couldn't go that Tuesday to Springdale's meeting I went the next Tuesday so I still drank that Tuesday when I was sent home still up, upset with myself and then funny enough, the Wednesday, I stopped drinking. I, I, something just came, came over me. So on the, on the 15th of the 3rd, 2016, I entered into a Springdale Group's first meeting. Um, what was my first impressions? Well, I, I felt at home that, that evening. I felt welcome that evening. Welcome also meant me to me. They, they said I must enter, I must stay there, I must come back. They also say... That home, home, home is a place of, of, of refuge. It's like a, a place of safety. You know, home is where, where, where you can, can go and, and feel safe there. You know, and, and there's also a saying that says home is where the heart is. And, and obviously by that time, you know, drinking all these years and knowing it's not right to do it, but still carrying on, you know, my heart's desire was to stop drinking. And, and, and that's, that, that is what, what, what I done from, from that Tuesday on the 15th of the 3rd, 2000, 2016. And in this week, we celebrated uh, my third, third sober year. So, yeah. <clears throat> I, I just wanted, that's now basically what I wrote down. So now I'm going to start to say what I want to say. Not really too much. Okay. Also, the, the other night I couldn't get this card um, out. 
that this uncle gave me. And it actually says that what you, what you are is, is God's gift to you. But what you become is God's, is, is your gift to God. You know, what, what, what you become at the end of the day. And I just want to encourage you that, you know, I, 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 I married for 22 years this year, but like for, for, for 20, 19, 20 years of my marriage, my wife had to stick around, live with her, her husband who's unreliable, who's, who's not trustworthy, who's, who's not an example to his kids, you know, and, and all that changed that very first night I, I went into the doors of AA. I went there through work, but I ended up having my work and saving my marriage and saving my home. And, and, and today I am very happy that I encountered the doors of the AA. Because there I felt my refuge. I was this prodigal son. I was lost because I had found the Lord previously. But funny enough, now I found sobriety and I found my God. You know, I could come back. And I find I'm in a good relationship with God because the AA is there to teach us, you know, that you must renew your mind, you must change your ways, and, and you must follow a new path. And I just want to say thank you to this program that today I can be a good father to my kids, I can be a good husband to my wife, and I'm a good worker at work, I'm a provider, and, and I'm very responsible. And, and, and the chance that I was given three years ago, I took it with both hands and, I, and, and I'm just going on, carrying on with my life. And, um, and I'm not going to look back on that. I'm going to keep on going and loving the life of a sober adult. And I just want to say thank you to the program and to everybody and encourage us that, you know, God says that to them that know what's right and do not do it unto them it is sin that we should just live our lives. There's only one way is the right way. There's nothing about you can do something wrong and it's right. It's either right or it's wrong. And what God wants for us in our lives is to wake up every day, one day at a time, stop drinking, be responsible, be loving, be kind to everybody, follow the program, and to, to just live our lives to the full. Thank you, guys. Okay. Good afternoon, friends. My name's Lauren, and I'm a grateful alcoholic. It's an honor and a privilege to be speaking at convention. I'd just like to thank the committee for asking me to share, and to all you wonderful people for being here and for making this such a special event. Please excuse me for using notes. I'm not someone who can do a share without notes. I like to keep some structure. I tend to weigh all over the place. Um, I like to keep some structure. And it also helps me to remember the important things that I want to say. As some of you know, my mother is also a recovering alcoholic and a very active member in this fellowship. Back in 2007, when she was fighting through her first year of sobriety, I was in my last year of drinking. It was killing her to watch me self-destruct, but she knew exactly what I was going through. And she knew that I didn't need to live like that. She tried so hard to, to help me and to warn me. But I didn't want to listen. Um, as many of you know, you can't help an alcoholic that doesn't, doesn't want to listen, doesn't want help. I was just too self-absorbed. I kept saying to her, I, I was just convinced I had my drinking under control. 
And I kept saying to her, I'm not like you. I, have, I can control my drinking. Eventually, one day in the beginning of November, I gave in all on my own. My lifestyle of constant partying was taking its toll on me. And my body wasn't handling it very well anymore. I admitted to myself that I had a problem. I couldn't continue living like that anymore and that I needed help. So I phoned my mom. Now, even though my mom had been sober for about 10 months at that time, I was way too self-centered and way too focused on my own life and my own partying to have bothered asking her anything about her newfound sobriety or anything to do about AA. So when I came into AA, when I went to my first meeting, I really didn't know anything about AA. And I definitely didn't know it was a spiritual program. So to be honest, the first thing, the only thing I remember about my first meeting was hearing the word God all over, repeated numerous times during the readings and seeing the word God all over the walls and the po on the posters. And I remember thinking I wanted to go running out the door. <laughs> Afterwards, it was explained to me that it was a God of my understanding, that it was my own concept of a power that is greater than myself. No one was going to force any beliefs or ideas on me. It was entirely up to me what I wanted to believe in, and I was okay with that. I've never really had a problem, actually, with believing that there is a power greater than myself. I had just never really done anything about developing it into a belief system of any sort or developing any sort of relationship with that higher power. But at that stage, my first AA meeting did not feel like I was coming home. I now know that's because I wasn't ready yet. I was not completely, I, I had not completely accepted that I was an alcoholic, and I had not surrendered to my powerlessness over alcohol. I continued going to meetings for a number of weeks, but I was still too full of nonsense. Even though I'd admitted to myself, I had not accepted, I'd admitted to myself that I had a problem with alcohol, I thought I could get sober while still hanging out with the same people in the same places, doing the same things, just without alcohol, but I couldn't. It was just too tempting and too easy for me to just order a drink, followed by another and another, of course. Before long, I was back down that deep, dark hole that I was in before. On the 21st of December, 2007, I hit my rock bottom. At about 4 or 5 in the morning, after a night of copious amounts of drinking again, I decided I couldn't continue living that way, the way I was. But I couldn't stop drinking either. Well, I didn't think I could. So I wrote a letter to my parents. I was 27 at the time. And... I took all the painkillers I could find. Note that this was an alcohol-induced suicide attempt. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one in this room that has attempted an alcohol-induced suicide attempt. I don't think that I would have done it if it wasn't for the alcohol. And that is part of the insanity of alcoholism. That morning, there were about five instances that occurred that I would have died if they, hadn't, if they had have played out differently, but they didn't. My airway collapsed and I had no pulse on the way to the hospital. My dad, having been a volunteer paramedic in the past, was in the back of the car with me and was able to recognize that my airway had collapsed and that I had no pulse. So he was able to inform the doctor immediately on arrival at the hospital. There just happened to be a doctor and two nurses standing at the entrance of the hospital at 5.30 in the morning, as if they were just waiting there for me. After the medical staff revived me, I was put into an induced coma and on a ventilator for about six hours until I was able to breathe on my own again. Miraculously, I walked out of that hospital two and a half days later, absolutely fine. No organ damage, no permanent damage of any sort. 
The day after I got out of hospital, I also had a spiritual, a profound spiritual experience and awakening. If I didn't believe in any form of a higher power before that, I certainly did then, and I still do now. I firmly believe that something was looking out for me and protecting me, including all those years that I was drinking. In fact, I believe that my higher power was working serious overtime all those years that I was drinking. It was after this whole experience that I knew I needed to do whatever it took to get sober. So I started going back to meetings full time. I still felt pretty lost and in the dark though. I knew I was in the right place and that the people in those meetings were going to become very important to me. They were going to be my AA family and the meetings were going to be my AA home. Unfortunately, I wasn't getting much guidance from the old timers though and no one stayed in touch with me to see how I was doing. I'm not sure if it was because my mom was also in AA and people assumed that she would look after me. But my mom was also new to the fellowship at the time, and she was still trying to find her own way in sobriety. I needed guidance and support from someone with more experience and knowledge on living a happy, sober life. Someone who could show me how to get long-term, good-quality sobriety. I also needed someone who could be objective about me and my sobriety. I didn't have a sponsor. I didn't even really know what a sponsor was. So I decided I was going to go to as many meetings as I could in the area. I didn't mention I'm from Yellowwood in Nisner. At the time, I was doing the Nisner group, so I went to as many meetings as I could. I went to numerous meetings every week between Nisner, Sedgefield, and Plett. At the time, there was one meeting in Nisner, one meeting in Sedgefield, and I think three or four meetings in Plett at the time. There's, an, there's now four or five meetings in Plett because there's a number of treatment centers there. Slowly but surely, things started to make sense and fall into place for me. And I started to feel more and more at home and like I belonged. The more effort I put into my recovery, the easier things became and the more I knew I was in the right place. Something I often suggest to newcomers now is to do as many meetings as possible in early recovery and to do different meetings. Variety of meetings is good. A home group is important, but I also think doing different meetings and me meeting different people is important. I firmly believe that me doing a lot of meetings in my early recovery is one of the things that helped me build a solid foundation for my recovery and sobriety. Today, I have no doubt in my mind that I am an alcoholic, and I know that all the people around me here today are my AA family. My journey in early recovery was not an easy, was not easy, not that I think anyone's is, but I think it was made more difficult by the fact that I wasn't being given much guidance other than what I was hearing in the meetings. So for me now, it's a vital part of my recovery to give back and try to help other alcoholics in any way possible. Even the smallest gesture can, help some, can make a difference in someone's life. I believe that our fifth tradition is the foundation of AA, and it's, a duty, it's my duty and privilege to pass on my story of how I got sober to the still-suffering alcoholic. To quote AA's responsibility declaration or pledge, I am responsible. When anyone, anywhere, reaches out for help, I want the hand of AA always to be there. And for that, I am responsible. So the point of my share is that I didn't really feel at home and like I belonged straight away. And that's okay. I'm living proof that this program does work as long as I work it. I'd like to share one of my absolute favorite inspirational quotes with you. It's not an AA quote. It's by a man named Harvey McKay. It says, if you're persistent, you will get it. If you're consistent, you'll keep it. And that certainly is true for me and my journey in recovery. I think it's important to share this type of experience and 
particularly for anyone that's a newcomer or early on in recovery. Because not everyone can relate to those that say they went to their first meeting and knew immediately that this is where they belonged, or that they heard someone basically tell their own story at first meeting. We are all different people, and we all have different experiences. What really counts, in my opinion, is if someone really has a desire to stop drinking, then they're probably in the right place. Before I finish, I'd just like to take a moment to dedicate this share to my mom, Irene, and thank her for being my rock throughout recovery, throughout my recovery of my sobriety. Today, our sobriety dates are a year and five days apart. I am just over 10 years, three months sober. She's been by my side the whole journey. I've learned so much from her in terms of recovery and sobriety and this fellowship and this program. I pray that I can continue to grow and progress each day and help others like she's helped me and so many others. Thank you for listening, and I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Further. By the grace of God and you wonderful people, I stand here sober just for today. Good day, friends. My name is Ricky, and I'm an alcoholic. At least I forget where I come from. I'd like to thank the P Convention Committee for giving me this honor and privilege to stand here before you. And uh, my sobriety date is 2nd of August 2010. Friends, it is asked for me to share in a general way what it used to be like, what happened, and how it is today. Friends, born in a small town called Verlum, and uh, grew up, schooled in Verlum, and did everything in that small little town. My uncles, they were business, all businessmen. My dad didn't consume alcohol, but my brothers and my uncles did. And I saw, you know, the actions after consuming alcohol, my uncles, and I said to myself, hey, you know what, I'm not going to join these guys and go down that road. But never to be. I finished my metric and... Uh, I joined my uncles in the taxi, and that's where, you know, I picked up my first drink. Had I known, you know, where alcohol is going to take me, I would have stopped there and there. It didn't stop there, and, you know, I continued. I wasn't working at that time, applying for jobs, and my parents were so humble, you know, and they sat us down and, and, and always talking about the right things and guiding us in life, you know. But for me, it went in one year and came out into the other year. And I continued, you know, joining my friends, joining my cousins. That's where, you know, the hard liquor came in. But never to be, you know, my, to cut the long story short, you know, my parents passed on. But before my parents passed on, they told me, you know what, you need to get a good job, find a nice girl and get married. And I don't want you to smoke and drink. But that that wasn't to be. And it so happened that my parents passed on and, and that message was given to my, my big sister. And she carried that message. Nevertheless, you know, my big sister passed on and before she can pass on, she, she told me, you know, I think you need to do something about your drinking. And, uh, you know, Poise did mention yesterday that, you know, that uh, when anybody tell us you know, we need to do something about our drinking. We need to take an inventory of our life. So my big sister passed on and I carried on my merry ways. And it so happened that she passed me on to my big brother. And yeah, again, my big brother had to sit me down and lecture me. And uh, 
he told me, you know, the best thing I think for this guy is that get him married so that, you know, his tail can get cut short. But that wasn't to be. So I, I got married. I found this girl that worked with me and I brought her into my unmanageable life. And to be quite honest, you know, my parents didn't bear the blunt of my drinking, but my wife did. And she bared the blunt of my drinking. And she sought help for me. And uh, I got married and I brought her into my unmanageable life. And drinking, I cut it down a little. And I said, you know what, I'll drink weekends. But that didn't work. And the big book talks about the easier, softer way, you know. And, you know, drinking escalated. And, and she could see that, you know what, alcohol was taking me down. But I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. I didn't blame alcohol at all. I blamed the people around me. And it came to a stage that where she had to phone my family and all came and sat me down and said, you know what, you're newly married and what's all this? And, uh, you know, friends, as soon as they left, I put it into one year and took it out into the other year. And as soon as my family left, I ran up to the shibin and went and had a half nap and came back. And that's where all the drama started. And that carried on, life carried on. And my late father-in-law, you know, 2009, you know, he sat, he also sat me down, you know. And uh, he always, you know, always took my side and never took his daughter's side. Whatever wrong I did when I consumed alcohol, I don't know, for some reason, he always been my side. And for that, I am internally grateful, you know. May soul rest in peace. And life carried on. My wife uh, seeked help for me, phoned Julo Center. And she put me in Julo Center. And there, it was almost December period. And I said to myself, you know what? Hey, this is going to ruin my whole drinking. Because December period is all the parties and what have you, you know. And I said, if I'm going to be in the rehab, I'm not going to enjoy my drinking. So anyway, I entered Julio Center and I stayed for one month. And I paid a dear price for this chair, my friend. I paid a dear price, you know. And uh, when I was in Julio Center, to be quite honest, and when I left Julio Center, I didn't grasp anything beside the serenity prayer. That's the only thing that I brought home and came. And I stayed sober for one month two months, and I went back to work as normal, picked up my friends, and went back normal to work. You know, one day my friend said, you know what, stop at the bottle store, they want to have a drink. So I stopped, and they bought me a Coke, I had the Coke, and the guy asked me, hey, you know what, oh, one shot, man, nothing will happen to you, I mean, now that you are sober. So I said, hey, maybe next time. And the second time around, the guy offered me, I said, hey, I'm having Coke, maybe some other time. And the third time I picked it up. And the big book talks about it, cunning, baffling, and powerful. And when I came home, my wife could see me. She didn't have to say anything. And she saw me in that condition. And all hell broke loose. Friends, when I, when I came to AA, and when I listened to the speakers, and they said it gets 100 times, 1,000 times worse. And for me, it got really worse. I really hit my rock bottom. And that's the reason why I'm here. Yes, friends, and then finally I went back and I drank and I really enjoyed my drinking. 
She did everything in her powers for me to stay sober. But it didn't work. You know? And I went back and I drank. And, you know, friends, finishing touch, she had a court uh, letters for me, divorce papers ready on the table for me to sign, and, and, and so forth. And she called in my family again, and she sat, they sat me down, they looked in what's always. So I didn't worry. And she told my family, you know what, she packed my bags in bin packets, and whilst my family is seated in the lounge, and she flung it again on the driveway. Can you imagine? And she said, I don't want him. You can take him and do whatever you want to. And that's where friends, and that's where friends, I started staying in the streets of Chatsworth. I started staying in the streets of Chatsworth, you know. And, uh, yes, friends, and, you know, it is absolutely sad, you know. I should pick up cardboards and sleep behind my outbuilding, schoolyards, and wait for handouts. Is that, is that the life that I want to leave? lead. No. So one fateful day I, I, went, I went up to Uncle N.C. and I told him, you know what, I've got a problem with alcohol. And there and there he sat me and he spoke to me and he admitted me in Bill's room. And that's where I found myself and I found the God of my understanding. And that's where I humbled myself and I found humility in Baisley Avenue. And when I left Friends, my first meeting and the theme is uh, Welcome home. My first AA meeting, welcome home, and that's a theme, you know. My first meeting was at Township Park Group, and uh, my late friend Alan, he took me to an AA meeting. And you know what, I didn't grasp anything because I, want, I was under the weather, and then I made my first meeting at uh, the Township Park Group. And that's where the guys, when I, when I rocked up there, the guys told me, welcome home home away from home. And, you know, my journey began from there. And up to now, there's no turning back for me in Alcoholics Anonymous. Today, my wife is a grateful member of the Alanon group, and I am a proud member of the Township Park group. That's where we find uh, serenity, peace in Alcoholics Anonymous. I got involved in service at my group. You know, today, I'm really, really enjoying the fruits of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's what it's all about. Friends, uh, and uh, time is almost up for me. Yes, and uh, you know, to the newcomers, stick around. Things beyond your wildest dream, you know, they talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I'll be very honest, I never knew that today I'll be chosen to speak in the convention. And my very first convention that I made was here in PE. And today, God has chosen me to speak in this convention. convention. And, you know, I tell you, I'm, I'm really blessed and I'm Hindu by faith. And today is an auspicious day for us, you know. So the higher power gave me this opportunity to come and share my experience, strength and hope. And I thank each and everyone once again. I thank the PE Convention for giving me this opportunity. God bless and a safe journey. Thank you. Good afternoon. Uh, my name's John B, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and uh, I work. I 
woke up this morning and I thank my higher power that I woke up sober, healthy and a lot more sound of mind than I've ever been in the past. I'd like to thank uh, a young lady for proposing me to speak here and I'd like to thank the Convention Committee for uh, accepting that proposal. First convention I've spoken at and I'm fairly nervous. So I've got through the, the thank yous and, and uh, it's just nice to be here. I try and get to as many conventions as I can. I get emotional. All I can do is share my experience, strength and hope. That's all I can do. I can tell you what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. And the, the theme of this uh, meeting is my first meeting. And uh, if I talk about my first meeting, it's going to be very short. Because I went to my first meeting, and there were a bunch of old farts sitting in the room. I was about 19 years old at the Central Group in Johannesburg. And this wasn't for me. Uh, and, and how I got there was... The, uh, a short synopsis of my, my drinking. From the age of, age of 12 to 15, it was fun and daring and exciting. From 16 to 18, and 18, it was exciting and partying. From 19 to 25, it was out of control. It was a preview of hell for me. Uh, from 34 to... Uh, the 25. From 25 to 34, I was a heavy drinker, trying to control my drinking, and it got progressively worse. And uh, it's a progressive illness, and I learned that in AA. And, at bench, and, and from 34 to 38, I was out of control, uh, completely out of control, and I was stepping in and out of hell all the time. Uh, how, I, how I got there... Um, my family history, I came from a very uh, morally good family. My mother was a Methodist, and, uh, a very good Methodist and all, all her side of the family. My father wasn't really religious. Uh, he wasn't religious at all in actual fact. And he had a disease. And it was a terminal disease. And the disease was alcohol, uh, alcoholism. And I don't remember much of my childhood from being born to when I was uh, sort of 12, 12 years old, something like that. Then I started, uh, because I thought about it now, uh, I started to realize what had happened. And my father came into Alcoholics Anonymous uh, in 1956, and he stayed sober for 21 and a half years. And then he stopped where he stopped going to meetings about five years before uh, he died. And what happened was that he died of alcoholism. Uh, he thought, obviously must have thought he could handle it now after being sober for that period. And he started drinking again, and four months after he'd started, he died. Uh, my brother, my, my, my father's brother was an alcoholic, and his son, my cousin, was an alcoholic. My brother is an alcoholic, uh, and so it's in our genes, it's in our DNA. And, uh, but I thought I was different, and, and very important for newcomers 
Please try and identify with what's said in the rooms. Don't compare. Um, I went to, as I say, I went to my first meeting when I was 19. That was in about 1967. My brother had joined AA, he got divorced, uh, and he joined AA, and he'd been in AA for about six months, nine months, or something like that. And, and he'd already learned something about AA, that uh, he didn't approach me. I was out of control, completely out of control at that stage of my life. I was drinking, I was hanging around Hillbrow and drinking every night and uh, fiddling with Duffer and all those sort of things. And he didn't, he didn't approach me because it was very difficult to approach a family member and, and tell them they got a drinking problem. But his, the guy who sponsored him into Alcoholics Anonymous, he must have spoken to, to Peter and, and told Peter to have a word with me. And I went, as I say, I went to my first meeting at the Central Group. Uh, and that was the, that was my first meeting. Uh, I stayed sober for about a week, I think, maybe. Uh, I don't really know. But, you know, the, the bright lights and the bars were, were calling me. Um, I drank until I was 38, and that was in 1968. Um, and as I say, it was a, just a progression of getting worse and worse. And denying the problem all the time. Uh, it's a disease of denial. I couldn't accept that. I was the problem, and alcohol was, you know, myself and alcohol was the problem. It was always them and you and, and uh, the situation, and, and I wasn't, didn't have a good enough car, and I didn't, if this happened, if that happened, I, I'd, I'd stop drinking. Um, so I denied it all the time. And geographical changes, as I said, you know, I got married, I had to get married. Uh, when I was 19, and that was just after I'd been to that AA meeting. Um, and my brother, with his divorce, moved out of his flat, and I had to get married, and so I moved in with my new wife into the flat, and I loved her. But alcohol, I loved alcohol more than I loved anybody else. Selfish, self-centered, uh, diseased. And uh, we were married for a very short time and she was about seven months pregnant. Um, I had a friend come over, he was in the in the Navy at the time and he got leave and he came over to the flat and he brought a bottle of rum and I was in the rum drinker, I drank beer because you don't become an alcoholic drinking beer. So I was convinced of that but he brought this bottle of rum Sunday afternoon, and the two of us sat and drank the rum. That's probably a couple of beers as well. And I got completely out of it, out of my mind. And when he left, I went into the bedroom, and my wife was lying on the bed, and she'd had a stroke. And I couldn't do anything. And the next morning, I phoned my mom, and I said, you know, there's a problem. And she went to hospital, and she died couple of days later. But that was, you know, it was sad for me, but at the time I was, I was just, I was still so self-centered and booze still had, had me. And I still carried on drinking. And when, it was an ideal excuse, you know, here I am, poor, poor me, poor me, to, to drink. And 
Then I got I had to get married again when I was 24, and that sort of slowed down my drinking a bit. Uh, and I moved away from the town that I was staying in. I, I sobered up in Alberton. Thank goodness for them. Uh, we had a very strong group there. It was a very big German contingent at the time, and we did what we were told to do, the newcomers. Uh, and I find that a little bit disconcerting in AA now, that newcomers can't be told what to do. We overstep in the mark if we tell them what to do. We not, uh, you know, they've got rights uh, and all those sort of things. Uh, and, you know, when I came into AA, I didn't have any rights. I drank them all away. Uh, I, I had to listen and do what I was told. Uh, I'd been sober for a month and I went to my first uh, breakfast meeting, the breakfast meeting at the Taylor's Travel Lodge. And there'd be 120 people at the breakfast meeting. And I drove out of the drive that Sunday morning and I saw the sun coming up in the and it was the first time in years that I'd seen this, and I appreciated it. And at that meeting, there was a lady, Patsy. Patsy told her story, and I cried. It just broke down. And then the other thing that changed my life, I went to a Soweto rally. It was in September, October or something. I can't remember when. But 1986, we didn't go into Soweto. It was out of bodyguard and panzer trucks and all those sort of things. But I went. And I learned there about service, uh, guys doing service and carrying the message. And then I went to my first convention in Johannesburg uh, the next year, the next Easter, uh, 1987, yeah. And there I saw all these people doing things, uh, organizing, uh, and, and the camaraderie and the fellowship. And then I realized I was in the right my, first, my, my, my second meeting, which would have been my first meeting, because I, I went into AA on the 17th of July, and I stayed sober from then. I was drunk when I went to my first meeting. And I really didn't know what was going on. And I also didn't like the people there. They were too smart, too clever, too uh, well-dressed. They were everything that I, I wanted to be, but I couldn't be. Uh, and all I can remember was a lady, it was her birthday, Angie, but I, I couldn't identify with anything she said. She, she was talking and they clapped hands and they did all those sort of things. And I left and I never went to, I only went to one meeting a week to that Alberton group. Once, one meeting a week. Until about six months after the Soweto rally. Then I started moving around. I felt more comfortable. Service is what kept me sober, keeps me sober. Service in my group, pitching up at a meeting, sharing, uh, Helping with the tea and coffee, putting out the chairs, simple things. Um, and, and that's what I like. I feel at home and, and, and all that. Um, you know, I've heard so many stories this weekend, and I can identify with so much. I'd been sober six years, and the bottom fell out of my life. I'd, I'd climbed the slippery slope up again in, in, in my career, and... Uh, when they decided I wasn't, they didn't need me anymore. I'd been with the company for nearly 20 years. And I said, sorry, we don't need you anymore. We're restructuring. Uh, and uh, I said, I lost my job. I didn't, luckily I didn't drink. And I had the AA fellowship to keep me going. People in AA, I've, you know, everything I say, I've, I've, I've heard, I've learned in AA. Uh, 
not a great reader of, of literature, but I, I've read the big book and uh, I, I've never read it from cover to cover. I haven't. The stories that I haven't read, uh, I think I've read the first pages. I can't tell you how many, uh, up to page 156 or something. Uh, and I apologize to those people who know the big book and study the big book. Uh, well, I haven't found it necessary to study the big book. I have found it necessary to go to meetings, to mix with alcoholics. The red light's on, and that's great for me. <laughs> now, just last, one last thing. To one of the old-timers in Johannesburg, George C., he always said at the end of the meeting, I'm not the person I should be, I'm not the person I could be, but I thank God, and I, I am not the person I used to. Thank you. Good afternoon, friends. My name is Bachus. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a proud member of the Katlong Group of Alcoholics Anonymous and the Soto Group of Alcoholics Anonymous. Welcome home, my first AA meeting. My first AA meeting was traumatic. <laughs> I did my first meeting in Alberton Grove. I got there, there were white old men. <laughs> um, and I stood right there with no option. I sat. The next thing I heard, they were talking about a big book. And then they spoke about steps. I was even more confused. I was looking for this big book and I was wondering if I'll ever finish reading that big book. And why should I be running up the steps while I'm supposed to be sober? talking, I'm looking at them, I'm like, these men are bored. <laughs> and I decided I am not going to come back. But just at the end of the meeting, they said, keep coming back. <laughs> I had no choice but to come back. I came back for a couple of months. It was so confusing. Then in the fourth month, I met other alcoholics. It was the um, rally of the South. I met a group of Sowetans. I'm from Catalonia. And it started being a little bit convincing because really, I couldn't understand why I should have a white disease. <laughs> um, I was very happy, I was very happy to seeing people of my color. Uh, but babes started picking me up for meetings in Soweto. Then that was home for me. That is when, uh, for the first time in my recovery, I heard them say, we sit down, it made sense. I used to be able to turn when I had to call myself an alcoholic. It was such a heavy name for somebody so little like me. And thank you 
for the hole that I landed in because it was the first time where I understood my alcoholism, where I met my people and my tribe. I drank for so many years in my life and I lost my drinking. I still think I do, but I know that I cannot. I cannot. Um, it, it, it wasn't a beautiful thing hearing that I will never be able to drink again because I just loved how I would work out my weekend. I'm one of the people that would go drinking in hills and dresses. I loved preparing my whole weekend. This is how I'm going to arrive. You know, and I loved my beautiful garnished gloves. For more, of course. But it wasn't for long, hey? It wasn't for long. Then I messed up. I used to drink and strip. I used to drink and go mad. I used to drink and lose myself. I used to look at my father drink and I thought to myself, this man, I would never drink like he did. Now, my father was a very wealthy man in the beginning. Um, we, he had businesses and he lost them before I could even spell the word sober. Because um, of his drinking, of course. Um, and then I had, okay, then I was left with a depressed mother who, who, who couldn't understand what was going on. Everything was gone. So I had to be there raising myself and my siblings. It was okay, I guess. Um, I had no choice and I decided that, you know what, I think I should leave school and carry on raising my siblings. I did. The first time, um, oh, then I fell in love. And then I was heartbroken. This guy. How could he break my heart? Okay, anyway. I was so heartbroken and then a friend of mine gave me a glass of blue carousel. Sure. It was heaven. It healed the head, the matters of the heart. I forgot about him completely. I drank so much. I forgot about him. I forgot about my mom. I forgot about my siblings. I forgot about everything that I called a problem. Not that I, I, I thought I had a... I, I, I didn't actually feel the problems. I didn't have time to feel pain in my growth because I had to be strong for my siblings. There was no time for me to even feel, you know? So I had to be responsible and take care of the household, which was good. And I drank, I clubbed. The, the part that I didn't like was when I got to a club and they started asking for my ID. Then I used to carry my ID every time um, I went clubbing because I was underage. I loved it. I really loved my drinking. I forgot about everything. My mom started asking me, what the hell is going on? I'm like, woman, while you are busy sleeping and nursing your depression, I had to grow up. I'm grown. Can you leave me to club? It's my money. You know, I'm the one who's working hard. And um, I was able to manage a few companies, which, of course, I drank all my jobs away. I had to do, uh, have, uh, I had to make my own drastic decisions in my life. You know, I've... In my whole journey, there were, there were times where um, I remember when I was raped. Um, I came home, I couldn't say anything to my mom because I looked at her and I thought, she's going through so much. Why would I want to worry her? 
when what happened to me. So I always had to make my own decisions and say it happened, it happened. Now move on with life. And I got into AA where I found other parents, you know, where I was given an opportunity to feel pain, where I was allowed to cry, where I was given a platform to share with other children, where I'm also being given an opportunity to be at school today, where I found love. You know, I was listening to my mom the other day when, on my first celebration, when she was sharing, saying she really wanted to kill me, you know, because she felt misery. She saw so much misery in my drinking, she wanted to end my own life. I also wanted to be dead. I, I, really, I really wanted to be dead. Being alive for me was a mission. But again, who am I to make such decisions? I mean, God gave me this, this life, so who am I to take it away? But I do find joy today in sobriety. I find so much hope. I find so much strength, you know? Every day for me is prosperity. I do have challenges, of course I do, but I know I always have my friends in recovery. I always have you guys, you know? It didn't make sense at first, that I'm different from other people. Who doesn't want to enjoy their drink? I mean, as young as I am. But hey, here, am I, here I am today. I'm sober. I'm alive and I'm enjoying each and every day. My life has a reason. I know my purpose today. I have changed the way that I speak about my parents. I used to think that my dad is a bad father, you know? But what my father did is what he knew how to. He didn't know any better. He was as sick as I am today. It's easy for me to understand both of my parents today that they were also sick. Hurt people hurt people. I'm, I'm just a different person from what I was before, and I'll forever be grateful for the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'll forever be grateful for Soweto Group and Gatahan Group of Alcoholics Anonymous because honestly, without those two groups, I felt lost. I'll forever be grateful for meeting new people. I travel, I go wherever that I wanna go to, I am free and I hold myself with pride. What happened yesterday happened yesterday. I know that I still get a lot of people of course who still remind me, but I do understand why. Who doesn't want to see this sexy boy walking with me? Yeah. <laughs> but it's gone. So I'll forever be grateful. And I want to really thank Isha when he comes here for his plane being late because I was given an opportunity to share in his part. Thank you.
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.